Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Brad Dieter. Brad has an amazing background in nutrition and exercise science with a master's degree in biomechanics, and he actually completed his doctoral degree and postdoctoral fellowship in translational science at Providence Medical Research Center and Providence Sacred Heart Medical Center. He's also the Chief Operating Officer of Macros Inc., a team of online coaches that has so far helped over 1,500 people to improve their eating habits. Brad has a very wide range of experience in nutrition and health. And this was a fantastic conversation about a lot of different topics from nutrition education, the skills involved in breaking down research and translating it to specific audiences, organizing a busy schedule and even Brad's concerns for public health in the coming years and the role health professionals will play. Uh, if you're a nutrition student or a dietitian, um, a doctor with a passion for lifestyle medicine or a, a personal trainer or a nutrition coach, I think you'll find this information really, really interesting. And uh, if you do, um, I'd love it if you left a review and rating on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Um, it really helps to get the podcast out to more people. And feel free to send me a message and let me know what you think. And I'm always happy to hear feedback on the podcast. So without any further delay, here's my conversation with Dr. Brad Dieter. Let's talk science. Thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to the conversation tonight. Um, I've uh, got quite a few questions that I want to ask you. I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to get through them all. Um, but uh, I've, been, I've been talking to a lot of people say, about this saying I cannot wait to speak with uh, Brad Dieter. So, um, yeah. So before we actually start things, um, would you mind telling us just a little bit about about you and your background and how you got into um, nutrition and nutri nutrition science? Yeah, my uh, my journey is maybe a little bit of a windy one. Um, so I I did my uh, undergrad kind of focused in pre med sciences. Was thinking about going to medical school. Um, decided I didn't want to to go into medical school. So I went back um, and did my my master's and my PhD in, in exercise physiology, but slightly different fields. Um, my master's was more in um, kind of musculoskeletal mechanics. I did a lot of neuromuscular control, EMG work, um, and kind of developed a lot of that aspects of my background and then did more of my PhD work in metabolism research. Um, so we used diet and exercise as kind of models of, of how metabolism is affected. And then my fellowship was more in um, med metabolism and disease. Um, I did a lot of, um, you know, kind of precision medicine, big data type of work around some of those concepts. Um, and then started a kind of co-founded a company in 2015 that was kind of geared towards, um, health technology and nutrition coaching. Um, and, uh, sold that and left that in April. Um, and so now I'm kind of running a nutrition coaching company. Um, I do a lot of consulting for biotech companies. I do a lot of writing. Um, I sit on scientific advisory boards. So I kind of kind of have a, my hands in a lot of different pies at this point in my career. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's quite impressive looking and knowing exactly, you know, all of the things that you do do and that all of the things that you're involved in. Um, and, you know, you're quite an entrepreneur, like as you just mentioned, um, particularly in the health sphere. And I was just wondering if, if you'd mind telling us a little bit, bit about some of the companies that you've been involved with. And just kind of just to start that off, um, I was wondering if you'd mind telling us a little bit about uh, Macros Inc. 
Yeah, so Macros Inc. is the company that I currently am the chief operating officer um, and co-owner of. So we are a, we're a one-on-one nutrition coaching company. Um, and we kind of our, our approach is we try to develop um, you know, nutrition coaching approaches and tools and programs that kind of help people develop kind of life-sustainable approaches to their nutrition, right? So we really try to use kind of the scientific principles of nutrition, of weight loss, of uh, you know, developing healthy habits, and we kind of put that in a more flexible type of framework. Um, and then we also use a lot of you know kind of sports psychology work with our coaches to kind of help develop them. Um, and we're really a, a service-based company um, that we kind of primarily focus on general health and, and weight loss for clients. Um, and then we're also starting to work on and build kind of a for lack of a better word, a corporate wellness program, um, but that's more geared towards actual service, right? I think a lot of us have had corporate wellness programs that look a lot like, you know, somebody comes in, says, hey, you know, track everything that you're doing, we'll tell you what you're doing wrong, try to hit 10,000 steps, and at the end of the year, you'll have a pizza party. Like, that's kind of what they traditionally are, so we we kind of want to take a more active coaching-based approach um, and actually develop programs that actually help employees and also help the companies themselves kind of restructure around you know, a more healthy way of approaching work and then of approaching your own life outside of work. So that's, that's, those are the two components of that company that we currently are developing. What was, what was it that you, you felt was, let's say, missing in, in the landscape when it comes to, let's say, just the one-on-one coaching thing for, for one, one second. Uh, we'll move on to the, the, the corporate side uh, in a moment. But what, what, what do you think was that niche that you felt needed to be filled by a, a specific company? Um, you know, there's kind of, there's, there's a lot of, of things that I think needed to be filled. You know, one is, there's, there's been kind of two models of, of how, you know, kind of, you know, health, wellness, nutrition, coaching has been done. One is the, let's take a, a commercialized dietary model um, and try to scale it up by making it as cheap as possible um, and as just easy to follow as possible for people, right? So think things like Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, any of those things. Um, and we know that those historically have not been successful, right? I think the the long-term success rate of those is like 5%, right? So that's a pretty abysmal rate of, of success. Um, and then the other the other approach is, you know, very high-end, customized, very niche coaching that's, you know, charges people thousands of dollars a month um, to do that work. And I think, you know, there's a lot of value in that, um, and I think that there's some, some good rationale for that, but I don't think that's going to solve a lot of the kind of global health problems we have, right? So we need to find ways to de- to deliver a service that's approachable, affordable, um, but still is a very high quality service. So kind of that's been the niche that we've tried to fill is how can we take this large chasm that's there in the industry and start to fill that niche with very high quality professionals, um, a very, you know, thoughtful, careful scientific approach to doing this and then something that's also sustainable and repeatable. Um, so one of the things that we know about our clients is people don't need to be with us every month of their life, right? We kind of set it up to where we have clients come for 6, 12, 18 months. We get them ready to kind of go and do their own thing. Um, and then a couple of years later, they'll come back to us when they're like, okay, life's gotten crazy again. 
I need to kind of reshift my focus. I need to put more energy into this. I kind of need to come back to what I'm doing. Um, so that's kind of how we've set this up is, you know, this long-term approach to actually helping people. Fantastic. And just with, with that kind of a, a long-term approach, um, do you kind of, when, when you're starting with clients, do you have a, a policy of kind of telling people, look, what, we're, what you're looking for is, is a long-term change. And this long-term change is going to take potentially quite a long time. So you're, you're, you're potentially going to be investing not only uh, a large amount of money or, well, a relatively large amount of money, but a relatively large amount of time into this. Like, are people bought into that or is that already or, or is that something that you have to kind of tell people and kind of get them on board with before they start? Yeah, uh, you kind of have to do two things. One is you have to have those conversations of like, look, we can't unwind 10 years of habits in three months, right? Like it's going to take some time to get you to where you need to go. Um, you know, you can't become the person you want to be overnight. So it's going to take some work. But on the other side is we know as coaches, there's things we can do to get people results quickly, right? There's, there's no need to, you know, tell people, Hey, you can't see any progress until you're, you're in here for six months. What we really tell people is look, we can, we can pair, kind of a coaching approach and coaching style that kind of shifts your mindset and gives you tools over the long term, but we can start immediately implementing things that get you results now, right? So we, we try to pair both of those together so we get a little more buy-in from clients early when they see results, and then we kind of Mr. Miyagi them through the, th through the whole process of like, I'm going to teach you things that you don't realize we're teaching you. Okay. What were what were some of the kind of like the main components that obviously when when you were coming up with how you were going to roll out the business and and when you were thinking about all of the actual services and components of what you were going to be offering to people, what were some of the the, the main things that you you felt you needed to focus on to to make sure that you were helping people get um, those, those roles? Yeah, you know, there's there's kind of two big things that come to mind. Is one making sure you have good people that you work with. Um, you know, that's the very first thing because I think there's there's a lot of different ways mechanically that you can coach people, um, but there's really, in my mind, only one way to do it correctly, right? And that's a high level of empathy, a very high level of competency in your field, um, and to have enough experience to know how to navigate situations, right? A lot of coaching is an art, right? You can know all of the science of something, but you have to have a level of experience um, and you have to have a level of kind of just experiential knowledge to get there. So we kind of formed it around good people. Um, and then the second was, you know, realizing developing a, a business like that takes time. Um, and so from day one is what are the things that we want to set up from a kind of business operations standpoint um, that allows longevity? You may not, you know, have huge explosive growth in the first two, three years or four years or five years, but you can kind of build on a foundation um, and then what are the, what are the long-term pieces we need to put in place? And so some of those were, you know, what does our revenue model look like, right? What is the, what's the best revenue model for sustainability? So we kind of built that in, um, you know, how do we approach our branding and our marketing? What does our message look like? So we, so we kind of carefully stepped through all those as we went through the process. Fantastic. There, there is definitely a lot to be said with, uh, working with quality people who, and, and I think it's, it's not just a matter of people who know what they're talking about when it comes to nutrition or um, not even, you know, things like behavior change or something like that, but people who are genuinely good with interacting with other people. Um, and that's, that's something that 
you know, if you invest in the people that you are putting into your company, I'm sure that does pay off in, in the in the long term. Yes, very much so, especially with client retention, right? Is absolutely. Yeah. Um, like besides Macros Inc., which which is obviously you know being uh, quite a success right now. You were also involved, you know, in a website that was called uh, Science Driven Nutrition. Um, and that's probably how a lot of people would be familiar with some of your work, particularly your, your writing. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, Science Driven Nutrition itself and, and just how it came about. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of those people who is innately curious and also likes to tell people about the things I read. <laughs> so... Um, I kind of found myself, you know, learning about a lot of different topics and kind of living my daily life with people that, you know, I didn't really, I couldn't sit down and have a really long form conversation with them about these things I was learning. Um, just because, you know, the people that you live with, you know, your, your family, your friends don't have the same innate curiosities as you, right? Um, and so I kind of felt like I needed an outlet to take all the stuff that was coming in and write more long form content. Um. You know, I've, I've spent most of my professional career writing, so it was kind of the, the medium in which I could collate my thoughts carefully and put them out there. Um, so that was kind of how that came to be. And for, you know, about four years, it was kind of just where I would take all these big ideas and concepts, kind of sift through all the literature and try to put them into a framework um, that I could understand and then kind of share that with everybody else. So what was – so with, with Science Driven Nutrition itself – what was the main goal besides, obviously, kind of um, whetting your own appetite for, uh, let's say, simplifying some of your ideas? What was the main goal with the kind of information that you wanted to get out? Who were you hoping to get this information out to specifically? Yeah, you know, I really wanted to get it out to um, more of – I wanted to write it in a manner that people who were kind of professionals in our industry could could really kind of sink their teeth into and kind of – get rid of all the noise, right? So that was kind of why I wrote it was, you know, we, I would pick a topic and I would kind of sort through everything that was out there and say, okay, here's what really matters. Here's what we know. Here's how to think about it. And I would try to deliver it to, you know, primarily other coaches and practitioners um, so they could have a, a much better resource to go to to answer some of these big questions rather than spending months or years trying to sort through it themselves. Okay, so, so you, were, you were basically you wanted to get this to people Let's say not directly to people who might use it themselves, but to, let's say the middlemen who would be able to help other people with it. Would that be right? Yes, that was that's primarily how things were written. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if any, everybody who, who's listened um, has is familiar with your content, um, and if you're not, you know, I'm, I'm giving you permission now to, to stop listening to this and go over to Science Driven Nutrition and read some of the stuff that um, Brad put out because it's absolutely phenomenal. But one thing that I'm particularly impressed with is the way you are able to break down, let's say if you're breaking down a research study, you're able to break it down in a very, very concise way that obviously you break it down to its key components, but you also are able to relate it to the context of the scientific literature and the, the evidence that we have out there. And then at the end, you're able to put in some of the key points that people might need and might be able to to relate to themselves or if, if you're talking to a professional to relate to their own clients. That's not easy to do. And I was wondering, what do you feel uh, has kind of helped you with that ability to, to break down research and to kind of communicate it better to other people? 
Um, yeah, you know, I think, I think there's a few things, you know, one is maybe one is some of the just innate ways that I interact with information. You know, I'm very, I'm a very kind of visual person. Um, so when I, when I read things or when I, you know, think about topics is I really try to put them in kind of pictures in my mind. Um, and that kind of really helps me distill things down into kind of single ideas. So I think that's really helpful. Um, another one is my kind of scientific career has been pretty broad, um, right? So I've kind of, I've done research in very basic molecular biology. I've done human studies. I've done kind of big data work. Um, and I've kind of done everything in between. So I feel like I've got a good context and concept of, you know, every step of the scientific process as we think about human biology and human physiology. Um, so it's very easy. I don't, I don't want to say easy, but um, I've been trained to be able to pull out at each level what actually matters. Um, so I think, you know, having a, a broad range of experiences really kind of helps you do that. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, I've been able to teach quite a bit in my career, right? So I've, I've taught a lot of academic courses for universities. I've given lectures at, um, you know, continuing education conferences. And so I've kind of always had to figure out how do I take this concept and kind of distill it down? Um, and so those are kind of the three things, right? As I would just say, kind of the way I interact with information, my experience, and then being forced to teach things really really causes you to sit back and say, okay, am I explaining this well enough to people? So it, it, it's kind of useful, like obviously that, that you've had that unique background. You know, you've had that those unique experiences, those unique exposures um, to at certain stages of your life. That's not so it's not necessarily something that everybody is going to have or is going to be able to incorporate into their life and say, okay, look, all you need to do to, uh, to break down this is, you know, just do this for a few years, work at this research institute for a few years, and then be a teacher for a while. If, if, we, if we speak in kind of realistic terms, what can people do themselves, people who want to be better at understanding research and breaking it down, and maybe not even for on breaking it down for other people, but breaking it down for themselves or even breaking it down for, for content production. What do you think that would be some of like the first skills that people should focus on to, um, to help them with that? Yeah. You know, this is one of the answers that I don't think people like to hear. Um, but it's probably the truth is it takes a lot of experience and a lot of work. Um, I, I don't know of any, any shortcuts or any hacks or any tools or, um, anything that I've been able to do or anybody else that I know. Um, you know, a lot of it is just reading everything you can, that you're interested in, right? Because a lot of things, you, you can't put something in context without context, right? Every, every time you read one thing, that, that's all you know, right? Um, but then when you read two things, you can compare this to this. And then when you read three things, you can compare this to these two. Um, and so it just takes accumulating a body of knowledge, right? And that's, that's the best part about, you know, being a human being with a hundred year lifespan is you're just always accumulating knowledge, right? You're always accumulating context and just realizing that every time you invest 20 minutes, a half an hour, you're kind of adding to this ability to have context. Um, so I would say there's really no shortcut, but there are some things you can do to kind of speed up that process. You know, one is as much as, people kind of um, chagrin formal education, um, there's definitely some value in having a formal education in the topic, right? It really speeds up your ability to learn. Um, so imagine if you were trying to become a doctor and you had to go sort through 
all the medical literature yourself to become a doctor and pass your boards, right? Or you go to medical school, and about 18 months, they tell you all of the relevant information and strip out all of the BS so you can pass your boards, right? It's kind of that, that approach is, you know, what are the things that I really need to know that are fundamentals? Um, and that's just kind of, you know, having a formal education. Now, the best part is, in today's world, is you can have, you know, a formal education through online courses. You can have a formal education through, um, you know, attending conferences. You can have a formal education through watching things like this. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. But really pursuing, you know, kind of structured education is also super beneficial. And then uh, the last thing would be, you know, finding mentors to answer questions for you, right? If you have, if you have a question that might take you 40 hours to answer on your own, or you can send an email or pick up a phone and call somebody and they can give you an answer in 20 seconds, you've just saved yourself, you know, a lot of time. Um, so those are kind of the, the three things I would say there, you know, is putting in the effort and the time, pursuing a formal education and the things that you're interested in, and then finding somebody who can mentor you along the way. I think it's really, really nice to um, to hear somebody saying something like that. It's just put in the time and put in the work because I think uh, very, very much these days we're um, in a culture where everybody wants to get everything done now or yesterday. Um, and a lot of the time, when it, especially when it comes to something like, like we're talking about here, um, the way you put out content is clearly a skill and skill development does take time, takes experience, practice, um, and it does take, like you said, having a good mentor, somebody who can point you in the right direction as well. So it's, it's nice to hear that for a change. Um, with the content that you put out, you are, you know, you put out a lot of content. You're obviously, you're managing your businesses. Um, you're getting back into academia. Is that right? Yes. I'm teaching a, a course this spring of a graduate sports nutrition class. So that'll be okay. fun. Uh, so you, you've got a lot on, like, you know, it, it, it's not like you're resting on your laurels or anything like that. You, you have a lot of stuff that's going on at the same time. How do you manage to organize yourself to get all of that stuff done and stay sane at the same time? <laughs> uh, my wife would probably disagree with the last part. Um, she probably <laughs> thinks I'm running all over the place like a crazy person. You know, a lot of it is, I would say the first thing is gratitude right? Like you can look at a very full schedule and a lot of stress and be like, man, this is really tough and I hate it. And, you know, I'm not sleeping very much, or you can be very thankful for the opportunities you get. Right. Um, I'm kind of of the mindset of, you know, as cheesy as the saying is, is like success is rented and, you know, rents due every day. Um, you know, just realizing whenever you're given an opportunity, that's somebody really kind of taking a chance on you and, trying to make sure you deliver the best you can. So just being very grateful for every opportunity really kind of helps from a mindset perspective of, okay, I've got all this work to do. Do I approach it with, oh man, I have all this to do? Or is it like a, wow, this is a great opportunity. I really get to do this. That's the first one. Um, I think the other thing is just, you know, being consistently a professional, right? And like realizing that you, Every day you have a certain amount of hours in the day um, and you get to decide how you spend them, right? You get to decide what time am I going to wake up, right? Am I going to wake up early? Am I going to wake up late? What am I going to do with those hours? How am I going to structure my day? What work needs to get done? And then you just, you kind of just put things on the calendar and you do it. Um, and then you kind of just schedule your life around that. And then the other piece is, 
Uh, and I'm sure you've experienced this at some point in your life, especially as a student with crazy schedules, is how many times do you have a project that really should take you only 30 minutes, but it takes you two hours because you're, you know, you're on Facebook or you're checking email or you're taking a phone call or you're doing X, Y, and Z, but it was really only about 30 minutes of work. Um, so just kind of learning to become pretty brutally efficient is pretty helpful. Um, yeah, I think uh, improving my efficiency is uh, something I could definitely do. It almost sounds like you're spying on me, but yeah, um, I, I really, I really want to take this uh, this conversation um, kind of on in in the direction around education when it comes to health and lifestyle, and in particular um, education around nutrition. But before before we do that, I just want to ask you, why do you think, if if even if you think so. Why do you think education around nutrition would be important for us today um, at the moment? Or, or what relevance does it have for, for society at the moment? You know, I think, uh, I think it's one of those things where it's obviously one of the biggest health issues that our society is facing, right? We know that a lot of the chronic diseases we have are tied to our lifestyle, which is physical activity, food choices, stress management, built environment, right? We kind of know, we know those are important. Um, and there's kind of this, I can't remember the word for it, but like, you know, when you know something and you have, you just assume everybody else knows that, um, a lot of the world doesn't really understand basic fundamental nutrition science, right? And how do we educate people in a way that kind of A, raises their awareness, um, B, reaches them in a manner that they actually kind of take some ownership in it, um, and then C, how do they change that into actual action and then changing the environment around them, right? So I think it's probably one of the most important aspects of how do we shift the trajectory of our human population, right? We're definitely headed in, in one path, and then how can we use you know, education and kind of changing our structure around this whole industry to shift it into another direction. Um, so I think that's, and I think the education piece is one component of that, and I do think it's a big component. So you, you mentioned the, tra the trajectory that, that kind of society is going in at the moment. Um, could, would you be able to kind of elaborate a little bit more on, on what trajectory you think we're, we're going in right now or you feel that we're going in? Based, based, yeah. based on the way society is at the moment. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of there's there's two pieces to it. You know, one is if we look at kind of just the global population, is it's very clear that over the last fifty, sixty, seventy years, as a society, we're placing less and less actual value on our health. Right. Um, now let's separate that from like what we say we value um, from what we actually value, right? People's choices over the last 60, 70 years have pushed them away from health and more towards other forms of success, right? Monetary, career, um, you know, any of those things have kind of taken priority, right? And so that's kind of the direction that we're headed. And how do we start to kind of shift that to say, okay, we've kind of eschewed some of these other important things. How do we start to bring that back into our culture? So that's kind of, you know, how I view it. Okay. Um, when talking about that, you're talking about a very, very big change. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, you know, 
a big change like that, people will say that you know perhaps the government has some role to play in it. Um, and you know, if if we think about government guidelines, I say just for for something like nutrition, they've gotten a lot of bad press. Um, and I'm going to say over the past few years, they've they've gotten a lot a lot of bad press pretty much since the government's been coming out with with any form of guidelines at all. Um, when it comes to the way the way the population should be eating, but how realistic do you think the government's role or Basically, what role do you think the government should have within that change that we 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 would like to see in society when it go when we're talking about seeing them moving in a more health promoting direction? Does the government have a big role, or is it something that we need to be looking at on a more individual basis or a more grassroots basis? You know, I think it's a I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, the top down approach, the governmental approach. I think. Will have a lot less to do with food guidelines and laws. Like there's been states or cities that have, you know, taxed, you know, soda or things like that. But I think where the government can kind of help push things is through policy, right? Can we spend more money on changing built environments so people walk more, right?、Um, can we change built environments so people have more fresh? Produce around, right? There's definitely parts of the country where food selection is a big determiner of why people are not eating healthy,、um, and, and that's very clear. So we can do some policy things to kind of help change some of the structure and environment and incentives and things like that. But there's definitely a large component of it that is very much、um, personal autonomy, ownership, and kind of grassroots movements. And then also, kind of collectively as a society, is what are we placing the value on, right? Um, and that's one of those things. You know, I always draw the analogy of a lot of times what we say and our behaviors don't match up. One of the best examples is you know a lot of people get outraged at how much money professional sports players make. Right? Like it seems a little silly that somebody who puts a ball in a hoop makes fifty million dollars a year, but a firefighter or a policeman makes fifty thousand a year. Right? But in reality. Where are we spending all of our consumer dollars? Right, cable packages, sporting products.、Um, you know, we're buying tickets to events. We're doing all this stuff that actually drives the free market. So, how do we start to shift our behavior patterns to actually push the market back to where we say we want it?、Um, another good example of that is if we kind of look at, you know, kind of the the health movement, so to speak, of you know the healthy at every size, the body acceptance, etc. And all these messages, a lot of us, you know, kind of grab onto and adhere to. But then, if you look at the actual data of consumer behavior,、um, like if you were to run an ad on Facebook, and we've we've done this experiment where you take somebody who's kind of the, you know, the, the body acceptance, healthy at every size, and you put advertisement dollars towards that, or you put it to the like typical Instagram model picture with whatever the sales copy is in that, people click on this. They don't click on. They don't actually behave as they're speaking, right? So it's kind of this,、um, you know, preference falsification. They say one thing and they do another. So we have we have to start kind of changing some of our cumulative cultural behaviors to kind of push things back the direction we actually say we want them to be in. So, so if we're talking about changing people's attitudes, people's behaviors, how? So. Obviously, if somebody is is aware that there that there's an issue with their behavior, and if there's an issue with whatever behavior that they're doing, and it's affecting their health in the long run, perhaps that person, that individual, can kind of take action and 
and work on that. But is there something that we can do on, let's say, a grander scale that can be a little bit more effective uh, with more people? Or how would something like that work? That is the trillion-dollar question, right? Is like, what can we implement as programs or policy or things like that to try to help steer it? And I don't think there's a singular answer, right? Uh, I think it's going to be multifactorial. I think it's going to involve you know, some sort of policy change to change food environments. I think it's going to be some sort of policy change to incentivize behavior. I think there's going to be, uh, you know, have to be cultural shifts and kind of how we live our lives, how we communicate the things that we do in our day-to-day life. It's going to be multifactorial, and I don't think I have a good answer of one or two things that's really going to push the needle. No, it's a, it, 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 it was a... It was a- it was a nasty question anyway, but uh, I, I said I, I would chance it. Um, but no, it, like, it, it will need to come from a lot of different places um, and probably with a, a lot of players involved as well. Um, on, if, we, if we go back to, let's say, the, the education side of things um, and the ed- kind of that education and how we can bring about change with it, obviously w- with education, the, the way that you structure how you try to explain a concept to somebody depends very, very much on the, the individual. And I, I don't want to say that kind of explicitly in the sense that we're talking about, or oh, you need to dumb it down for certain people. I, I don't mean that, but I think it's very, very much based on what that person wants to do with that information um, for themselves. So, for example, if you're speaking to a middleman, like, um, let's say, some somebody working in health um, or fitness or something like that, you're giving them a certain amount of information for them to then translate it in another way to, to the clients, the end users. Or if you're speaking directly with an end user, you want to give them something that's very, very kind of uh, direct and very, very um, uh, applicable. Um, how do you think, like, all of that, the differences in, in the people that we're speaking with, that should reflect the the information and, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking very very generally about people in, in the health promoting professions um how do you think that should affect the way people generate content or just generate conversation around and, and let, let's stick with your yeah, nutrition and health yeah you know i think one of them is realizing that you don't have to speak to everybody um you know you can speak to whatever audience you wish to speak to um and you can speak to them at any time right like there's times where i'm gonna write content i'm gonna give you know talks i'm gonna do whatever to one type of audience um and then another time i might give it to a different type and then there's some people who just really are good at delivering to one type of audience and they just build their whole brand their whole business around that right and understanding that there's so many people that need to be um, educated to, um, and you you can choose whichever one you feel like your voice fits best, right? So there's no there's no right audience, there's no wrong audience. It's whichever resonates with the message that you want to send. So I think just being pretty self aware of like who do you want to speak to, um, what what do you feel like your message is going to resonate, what audience is that? So I think that's that's a big piece of it is. You know, especially for people who are trying to build a brand or trying to just, you know, put out content is just who do you want to speak to and then just speak to that audience. Hmm. Um, and then if we think from a sense of what's going to be most effective and what's going to be most efficient, um, 
is it better for us to be speaking with the end users, with the people who need to be applying this to their lives? Or is it better for us to speak with middlemen who can potentially go out and speak with an even wider audience? Because if, if, you, if you can teach only 20 people at a time, if you can teach 20 people that, they can then go on out and teach 20 people. You know, we're, we're thinking of just increasing our reach is that more re- is that is that a more realistic or a more efficient approach or or is is it even a feasible approach? Um, I, well, you have to have both, right? I mean, if we if all we do is is teach middlemen um, and then those middlemen teach other middlemen, who speaks to the audience, right? Um, so we we have to have a combination of both, right? And so and so realizing that we need all all types, uh, and then just deciding where in your niche fits the best. And there's, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase, there's money to be made at each point, right? You can build a career speaking just to the audience. You can build a career speaking just to the middlemen. You can build a career just speaking to the people who speak to the middlemen. Um, there's, there's so much space to do it that you just have to decide where is your skill set and your talent and your energy and your passion. Absolutely. I think everybody needs to be able to kind of find that um, that niche for them for themselves. Um, if we if we get back to just talking a little bit about um, solving the world's problems when it comes to, to, to health, um, what do you think right now are some of let's say the major concerns when it comes to health, or the major modifiable concerns that come that that um, when it comes to health and where do you think are some of the, the the places that we need to start approaching these and to start making some changes? And that can be either at a policy level or at an individual level. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the really the big the big levers to pull are, I think for most people, it's one, t- just getting people to be accountable for their health, right? I think... I think if we can just get more people to just take accountability of it, I think that's going to solve a lot of problems, right? Um, I think that's the first step. And then from there, then we get into the mechanics of things, right? Like, okay, now the people actually say, okay, I value this. I want to declare that I'm accountable for it, right? I've built my health or I've destroyed my health, that kind of thing. Um, you know, then the mechanics there are, from my perspective, there's so many ways to do it right, right? Like you can adopt a lot of healthy dietary patterns. You can adopt a lot of different very healthy physical activity, um, you know, regimens. And so then it's, you know, how do we start to get people to change their food choices, right? The quality of their food choices, the quantity of their food choices, right? How do we start getting people to just take ownership of those things and then take ownership of their physical activity piece? And then when we get those sorted, then everything else from there is, is a lot less return on investment, right? So then from there, it's all the specifics of like, just everything down that list is so minute that it doesn't really matter to those things. Um, But I think the problem there is, you know, we have, one of the biggest hurdles we're facing is is time, right? We have an ever-growing portion of a sick population that's kind of reaching critical mass, um, and it's going to take us decades to, to reverse that. And, you know, it's just going to be a matter of, do we have enough time to start building out, 
an industry and a message and a voice to kind of shift that back. Um, so hopefully that answered your question. I don't know if that did. Uh, yeah, uh, what we, what I, I think we, we I, I'd like to ask a little bit more about is from a, a kind of a, a public health perspective, what do you think, well, what are some of the major concerns that, that obviously are going to be related to lifestyle choices? Um, now at the moment, yeah. what are people facing potentially moving into, you know, as, as people age and like, you know, you, you said yourself perfectly that, that this is a matter of people aging and it's a matter of time. Um, and like, you know, obviously there's, I think you, you've used the term accumulation of risk yourself quite a lot. Um, what are some of those, those concerns that people uh, may be facing? Um, yeah. So one of the, one of the, the two biggest ones are economic. Um, you know, we, we're starting to get to the point where we can't economically cover the cost of the healthcare burden we're putting on ourselves, right? Um, I think, I can't remember the exact projections, but in the not too distant future, our healthcare costs are gonna match our gross domestic product in the United States, right? So that means every unit of value you're creating, you're then spending on your own health. Um, that's, a, that's a non-sustainable solution, right? That's like what happens when you're you know, when you're spending every dollar you're making on just keeping your population not sick, you can't produce any more wealth, right? So you kind of just run into this economic problem of we can't sustain this level of unhealthiness in our country and still be economically viable, right? So I think that's fundamentally that's the biggest problem. Um, if, if, we, if we run into that problem, everything else is just going to fall apart. So that's the biggest problem. Um, the second problem that comes with that is a burden on society, right? So if you have a very large population of very sick people and you have a very small percentage of the population that's healthy, who's taking care of all these sick people, right? Um, it's the few healthy people. And then all of their endeavors are spent managing the unhealthy population and not producing good in the world, right? It, it just becomes a how fast can we bail the water out of the boat to keep the boat afloat um, and not a, you know, let's get some wind in the sails and push the boat forward, so to speak. So those are kind of the two, the two biggest issues that we, that are impending and coming. Um, and we have to kind of start to mentally prepare for that. You really paint uh, a, a rosy picture of the future, don't you? <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, the thing is, is it's, it's not a rosy picture, but we kind of have to be accountable for it, right? It's, it's kind of like the way I look at it is if you look at your personal financial stuff, you can say, okay, well, the bank account's zero. I can ignore it and just keep going, or I can go, okay, well, this is where it's at. We, we kind of need to address this. Um, how, how realistic is improving the, the situation at the moment? Um, and, like, we, we can just speak from, you know, about the United States right now, um, because uh, the rest of the world will be will probably be following suit. Um, but yeah, how, how realistic is is about change um, and kind of what level of investment is going to be necessary to bring about that kind of change? Um, you know, I think the I think the outlook is more promising today than it was five years ago. Right, we're starting to see. Um, you know, some of the rates of increase, some of these things declining, right? Medical care is getting better, um, you know, and we're also starting to 
to realize the importance of our type of industry, right? Is we're kind of the frontline practitioners of actually dealing with these issues. Um, you know, so we're starting to put the tools in place to start kind of pushing the trend the other way. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic that we have the opportunity to make a big change. Um, and then it's going to come down to, you know, can we consistently improve our profession? Can we consistently improve the messaging that we have for people? Um, and can we consistently make an effort towards turning the ship around? So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we, we have a chance to kind of improve what the future projection looks like. Okay. Um, there, there's a lot of conversation within, within the, the nutrition sphere, um, particularly, let, let's say, on, online. I'm not going to say specifically within academic circles um, about the best approaches that need to be taken to kind of bring people um, or to, to bring people's health or move the people's health in the right direction. Um, and like, I, I'm not going to mention any of them here, but there, there seems to be a lot of different kind of factions when it comes to what people think is the best approach. Um, but I would think that at the moment with the state of the, uh, of kind of nutrition knowledge and nutrition science that we have at the moment, that we know what we need to know to move forward. Do you, um, do you feel that that's the case? And, and if that's the case, what's stopping it from moving forward now? You know, I think we've, I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions, um, for sure. But I okay. think we have a, a solid enough foundation to know, here's what works on a pragmatic level. Here's what doesn't work on a pragmatic level. Um, and here's how you implement these things. I think we know the answers to those questions. Um, now, what's, what's holding it back from actually being rolled out to a, law, a large amount of people? Um, I think one is it's, it's a lot easier to discuss things than it is to implement change. Um, you know, so you can, you can write an article. You can have a discussion about what's better, what works, but then actually doing it is fundamentally different. Um, you know, so it's just takes, it takes work to implement change. Um, it takes work to, you know, build a, build a company that actually is geared towards actually providing that service. Um, it takes a lot of work to have industry standards change. So we're, we are more professional practitioners. Um, it takes work to, integrate our type of field into the healthcare setting where maybe we can actually work with patients one-on-one -on -one who need our help instead of just physicians. So it just takes a lot of, takes a lot of work to get things going, right? So we, I mean, let's just say now we have the answers to, okay, here's how we implement this. It's going to take time to roll it out. For example, you know, you can look at something in the biomedical model of like uh, a vaccination, right? We know that the polio vaccine works but how many decades did it take to actually effectively vaccinate everybody that needed to be vaccinated, right? There was um, logistic issues, there was funding issues, there was policy issues, and so you've got to chip away through all those before you can actually reach the masses. So I think we're kind of in the phase of we, we know what works, we know how to implement it, we know some of the things that we need to do, and now it's just a matter of systematically implementing them across a large number of people. You could probably say that um, rolling out the polio vaccine was a hell of a lot easier than the, the kind of change that will be needed for um, what's coming. 
Yes, it probably will be a substantially easier feat. Um, just based on kind of the, the whole conversation that we've had um, about, uh, let's say, about health and then health education, what do you see it as being some of your goals um, moving forward in, in the next few years? Yeah, so, you know, part of my goals at this point in my career are I'm really invested in kind of training the next wave of professionals. Um, so that's a big piece of it, you know, from from multiple levels, right? The, the academic side, right, by being involved in kind of creating the certifications for our industry, um, for kind of sitting on advisory boards, for kind of trying to steer initiatives and things like that. Uh, I really feel like that's a big part of what I want to do. Um, another one is, you know, we need the industry component um, and we need companies and we need businesses that actually can be built within this ecosystem to directly service people. Um, so I'm very invested in doing that and um, building those companies and starting to to leverage our professionalism and our knowledge into actual broader reaching things. Because um, as much as it's uh, you know, altruistic, it also takes money and resources to reach a large amount of people. Um, so hopefully we can start to leverage some of those things to reach more people. So those are kind of where the next two big focuses of my career are going to be. Uh, and they're like absolutely spectacular goals and focuses um, to have. Uh, we, we didn't get to touch on it much, but uh, I would like to just kind of briefly mention it. Um, so you were involved heavily in designing the new NASM um, nutrition course. And I was just wondering, what were, were kind of some of your, um, what were some of the goals that you had in mind when you were creating the course? What did you want to make sure were some of the, the key components of that nutrition course? Yeah, and so my kind of my whole scientific career was based on this kind of bench to bedside, right? Like, how do we take the fundamental knowledge that we learn from science and deliver it to people? Um, so we tried to design the course of walking somebody from basic fundamental nutrition science to practical application, um, and so that was kind of the the overarching goal of of that certification, right? Is it's not just an applied course; it's not just a basic nutrition science course it's kind of a a full spectrum view of it um and so in the course we covered um you know one of the things we covered and we cover it in chapter one is scope of practice right so what is your role as a nutritionist or a nutrition coach right is here's here's where you fit in the whole ecosystem and here's what your your job essentially is and how do you work with clients so that was kind of the first piece and then we we really wanted to gear it around the most current, up-to-date, evidence-based um, information we have around fundamental nutrition science. Like what you know, how nutrition works at a fundamental level. And then the last piece was, how do we take this knowledge and apply it based on you know, a lot of behavior change, psychology, a lot of uh, you know, implementation from people who've had decades of experience as clinicians and practitioners. So that was kind of how we geared that entire certification. Fantastic. Um, and how's the feedback been uh, for the, the course so far? It's been great. Yeah, it's been incredibly well received. Um, I think it's been a huge success for them. I think they probably had, oh gosh, I'm trying to think thousands of people who've already signed up um, we, we launched in late March early April and so we're 
going on, what is that, seven, eight months now. Um, so I think they've been incredibly uh, happy with the, the feedback so far. Fantastic. Um, I, I remember I did mention to you earlier that I, I, when I did hear you were involved with creating that course, I, I was really, really excited because um, I thought there, there couldn't be anybody better in the industry to, to get involved with such a with such a, a feat, basically, because like you said, you, you want to stay involved with um, getting information out to, you know, you obviously get it out directly to people, but you, you want to be able to get it out to the middlemen as well who are going to be out there um, in the trenches, so to speak. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, one one thing before we, we go, um, just for anybody who uh, isn't following you already, um, how can people kind of keep up to date with, with what you're up to um, online? Yeah, so you can, um, the website that my company is at, it's just macrosinc.net, um, so you can find us there. There's a there's a good picture of me on the About Us, of, of me and my dog and my wife. That's <laughs> that's my claim to fame on that website. Um, my personal blog, which is Science Driven Nutrition, you can find me there. Um, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can find me at the NASM website. I write for them. Uh, I write for Examine, so if you follow their Research Digest, uh, I write a couple articles a month for them. Um, so it, those are the places you can find me. W would it be easier to say what um, nutrition websites you don't write for? Would that be probably a shorter list? Uh, there's <laughs> probably a lot that I don't. So. <laughs> no, you, you are, like, it's funny, if you do a, a Google search for your name, you just appear on so many different websites as, as an author. It's like, God, what, what doesn't this guy do? Um, but... Uh, Listen, Brad, this has been uh, an absolutely fantastic conversation. It's something that I, I've really, really wanted to get into, and I, I'm really, really glad that I was able to speak with you about this. Um, so I want to say thank you very, very much for, for joining us tonight, and I um, want to wish you all the best uh, with all your future endeavors because um, I'm really, really excited to see uh, you know what, what you're going to be doing in, in, in the coming years. Awesome, perfect. And thank you so much for having me on. It was an honor. I'm really glad we got to connect. Um, I may be in your neck of the woods in about a year from now. So if I am, we'll have to get together and uh, and meet up in person. So anyway, really appreciate the time. It was awesome. We'll be looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Brad. Have a great one, okay? All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we've spoken about today. If you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use or maybe even share a link on social media. It really helps to spread word of the podcast and it really means a huge amount to me personally. Uh, if you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of our guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at be more nutrition. That's at be underscore more underscore nutrition. And I'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast. So please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly. And if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.